Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM and the AM. We'll start with Rabbi David Heber, Jewish Calendaric Trivia, and, of course, information about Rabbi Heber's brand-new book. He's uh, our first guest on JM Rewind, Rabbi David Heber, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, the time has arrived. The much-anticipated conversation with the one and only Rabbi David Heber. Rabbi Heber is with us live via telephone. He is author of the brand new book entitled The Intriguing World of Jewish Time, Fascinating Zmanim and Calendar Calculations. It is an Israel bookshop uh, publication, and it is available to you both in your bookstores, uh, but maybe more conveniently at israelbookshoppublications.com. Again, israelbookshoppublications.com. Uh, go to that site and uh, purchase The Intriguing World of Jewish Time, a recent release by our amazing friend, Rabbi David Heber. Rabbi Heber, of course, is Kasha's administrator at the Star K. He's spiritual leader of Kahal Avis Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek down in Baltimore, Maryland, where earlier today we learned from one of our commentors, commentators on the app, that Nate Tzachama in Baltimore, depending on who you ask, was sometime, Nate Tzachama, by the way, is Sunrise, was sometime between 7.07 and 7.09 this morning. Rabbi Heber, Shana Tova, and welcome back to JM in the AM. You too. Good yar, Shana Tova, and a good chaydash to chaydash tov to all of your listeners and to you. I hope your yantav was as nice as ours. Yantav was wonderful. Let's start with that because I'm going to jump right in. My children surmise after this yantav season that of the four setups, the Tuesday-Wednesday is the most difficult, even more difficult than the three-day yuntifs. Do you have an opinion on this? <laughs> okay. I've, I've had an opinion on this since third grade. Okay. <laughs> so I, think, I think kids in school love this, this combination, and people who work uh, have a difficult time with the situation. It all depends on who you ask. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. It's a, it's a very subjective question. By the way, did you announce a time for Nate Sachama? Was there a controversy down in Baltimore? What time sunrise was this morning? Yeah, yeah no. I mean, we are so interesting. We have a, our show has a minion. The time is at six twenty, or six thirty regularly. Right. But we started last year a. Uh, a minion, like for people who don't want to, you know, rush and who don't want to, I'm before Nate. So during the winter, we have one that uh, has Nate. So like people in the Daf Yaimi, they finish at six thirty, and then they'll start a little bit later to to dominate at Nate. And uh, we just started that. It's actually a portion this week at a at a base oval that minion, oval Davis by that minion. But uh, it, it all depends. This is a huge conversation <laughs> of exactly how to calculate sunrise, and it's uh it's becoming a very, very uh, um, more widespread discussion. You know, you would think sunrise is just so basic. Right. But it, it, it really, without getting into major detail, right. you know, the Naval Observatory just takes sea level. But yet the actual sun comes up, you know, based on, on not only altitude, but the, the topography around you. If you want to read a lot about it, there's a website by Chaim Keller from from Israel, I met with him um, on a visit there. Wonderful person. It's High Tables. That, that's also a website with flights, right. flight information. Right. He has a whole write up about. He he could give you any 
sunrise based on the topography around you at different neighborhoods, and it's really fascinating. It's, just, it's a never-ending uh, discussion, and sunrises, I mean, I got a few charts of sunrise of, of how to calculate it, but uh, anyway, it's interesting you ask. Rabbi Heber is with us, of course. The book is called The Intriguing World of Jewish Time. I'm going to try to speak about the book during this conversation, but if we run out of time, Rabbi Heber, I am committed to you to bring you back just to talk about the book. There's so many things I want to ask you about 5782. Many people thought it was appropriate that our first conversation about 5782 be on the first day of the year, the brand new year that we say Pasha. Those are the extra words that are included in Musaf today and tomorrow and until the second month of Adar this year uh, because it is a leap year. And my good friend Rabbi, Rabbi Benji Kramer pointed out to me two things. Number one, Pasha brings, to, um, a, a, brings the total number of things that we say in that portion of Musaf to 13, which is interesting because we have 13 months this year. And he also pointed out to me that uh, it's interesting that we stop saying Ulchaparas Pasha in Adar Beis. And so it's sort of like indicating that once Adar Beis is finished, the second month of Adar is gone, we are sort of no longer in a leap year, if you get what I say on a, you know, on a, more, on a more abstract level. What's your reaction to that? Right. I mean, I, I, one of the reasons given, there's several reasons given to Ulchaparas Pasha. One of them is simply... You have an extra month to do something wrong, so you need that extra <laughs> kaparas pasha, right? Which means That's true. Uh, atonement. Kaparas is the same as this young kippur. Uh, atonement, pasha are, are you know are sins. So another very interesting reason is you find a discussion of you know why is it a leap year this year? So our calendar is of course what's called al pichesben, which means it's done by by calculation. Not al anymore, which means by sight of the moon. When they, in the days of the Sanhedrin, they would actually uh, declare the new moon and the new month by sight, and we can't do that anymore. But it used to be they had to calculate should this be a leap year, not a leap year. So there was a discussion in the, by Chizkiah as to whether or not it's a proper pick of should this be a leap year or not, because there's a lot at stake. Because technically, if you pick the wrong year, you can end up when you're eating those hamantashen on on Shushan uh, Purim. Right. You're eating hamant on Pesach, right? right. So, so the kaparas pasha is kind of like if we made a mistake, you know, it should be a, a kapara. So once other base comes around and we've already declared the new moon, so then that month is it. Then we're done. Then right. we're kind of like in the clear. I think that's very, one of the reasons why we stopped. Very good. Very good. Excellent. I love that. Uh, by the way, I, I know you have a lot of stuff to tell us about the brand new year. I wanted to point out a couple of things. Can I assume, since we start saying the same Talumatar next week in Israel, can I assume that this is one of the longest stretches between when Israel starts and when the diaspora starts to say the same Talumatar? Yes, it, it is. It's a long, it could be a long stretch because it's an early year, which is what, which is one of the you know, one of the interesting points of this year, really last year and this year, I've been extremely early. It's, it's, right. it's only two days later than that super early year in 2013. Um, the previous year was the fifth year of the 19-year cycle, which is the second earliest, and, um, and therefore feeding into the sixth year, the beginning of the sixth year, until we get to Adar, where we finally catch up, it's an extremely early year, which is why the Amtaivim um, were done 
by the time we started, um, uh, you know, October, right. all the Amtaiva were done already. We're going to be, right. in three years from now, we're going to be in the Assassinate Shuva in, in October, right. which is pretty amazing. That is so my amazing. point here is that because it's such an early year, the seventh day of Cheshvan, which is when Israel begins, the St. Talmud of the is so early, and it's so much earlier than the December 4th by Marev, which is which is the time that we start. So we have that you know, longer, as you say, longer discrepancy, absolutely. Is the regular parochas back in your synagogue, or was that before Shabbos Bracious or after Shabbos Bracious? We put it up before Shabbos right. Bereshis. So this drives uh, me crazy. This drives me crazy because I am of the opinion, and look, you're an old-timer. You you know what it was like in the old, large synagogues. Am I right? And I know we've discussed this before, but the ble- best thing about having me as the interviewer is I don't remember anything that we discussed last year. <laughs> am, I right or, am, I, am I right or wrong that in Jewish tradition it always seemed when we were growing up that the month of that during the month of Tishrei until after Shabbos Bereshis, that, par- that white parochas was not touched. Am I just dreaming that? Okay, so I'm going to say on that, I don't remember. I remember a lot of things, but I don't, I don't remember the project. But on the topic of Parachas, I must mention yeah. that in the summer I was in, for one day I went to, to the Menachem Oval, a very, very uh, dear member of ours, uh, Ramosi Truhaft, who was sitting Shiva in, in Zurich uh, for his father, Al Shalom. And we went, we literally, a few of us flew in, we came in in the morning, and we we took a flight in the afternoon, right. you know, back home. We right. just went to Malcolm Oval, but the, we were there for several hours, and I met with the Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Levy, who's a very, very dear friend of mine, and we also took a, a brief tour of the IRG shul, which is a 120, 130-year uh, kihila in, uh, in Zurich, and they showed us, it was an informal tour, we went in, you know, to the shul, one of the, one of, the, one of uh, you know, the people from there just took, took us around, and we saw and in there, they have many different parochas that are there. It's unbelievable. They change them for each each yontif has wow. a different parocha. So we're used to white and wow. the rest of the year. They have a parochas for shvuas. They have a parochas for, I, I, I forgot already exactly. Wow. But there's a, there's a small closet. It was beautiful. There's a closet lined up. One parochas, I think we're nine or ten. Wow. I don't know the exact number, but it's beautiful to see. And, of course, that's the, the, the Yekisha tradition of, each yontif gets its own niggin. Each yontif right. gets its own right. Um, uh, a parayches. Each yontif gets its own shiramalis. And it's funny um, because it's funny because last Friday when I was really you know focused on this issue because of course last Friday was Arab Shabbos Bracious. So last Friday someone said to me that they are that they remember that the Yekisha community of Washington Heights changed the parochas back before Shabbos Bracious. I said, "What? Is that I said I said if that's the case then I concede on this issue. If the if the German Jewish community changes it back during Tishrei then I completely concede because who would be more into tradition than that community of course. But if somebody knows, if somebody's up in Breuer's now or if anybody knows when they changed the parochas, I'm begging you, please let us know. Rabbi Heber's with us his brand new book, The Intriguing World of Jewish time you can go to israelbookshoppublications.com israelbookshoppublications.com and we'll try to get to uh, some of the issues in the book in just a couple of minutes all right a couple more things on my list before i i, I give the um floor to you uh rabbi heber um it, it, the one of our listeners pointed out that this year because it is set up right tuesday wednesday there is some type of discrepancy about which hoshanas you say on the fourth day, is that is there a reason why this setup calls for a controversy regarding which Hoshanas to say on that day of Yantif? Yes, that is 
true if you look at the old art scroll Sidurim, it's got an asterisk. I think they I think they changed it and they just put in one minig. Um and and there is an asterisk for that because the now I don't have this one exactly on the top on the top of my tongue here, but each Hashanas, I know the first day for example, um the Hashanah, the, the, the second day was, was the first is about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, was about right. Hashem. Right. And that's that uh, of the Hashanah. The right. second one is Evan Shia, which is about the Beis Hamikdash. Right. The third day, interesting, is Erech Shui, and right. that's about Yom Kippur, because it's the same day of the week as, as Yom Kippur was. Um, it was a week later, so you're 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 kind of like thinking, hey, we were in shul a week ago, right, right now, on on you know, dominating on the Yom Neirim, and then the next, the last one is about Mayim, um, Adina Mashi, I believe, is the one before Hashanah Rabbah. Now, when Shabbos comes and things get shifted, those middle ones are questionable. Which one takes precedence in the middle? And again, I don't have on my fingertips right. the exact reason. But I once I once gave a shear on this. I have notes on this. But the middle ones, it's a question of which one are we going to give priority to, A or B, as far as the reason, and therefore one of them, you know, so to speak, wins out over the other one, and therefore that's that's the basis of the machlokes. Amazing! What a tradition and heritage we have, Rabbi Heber. Do you know? And again, this is off the top of your head. Obviously, I don't expect you to know it, but I'm curious because one of our listeners brought it up. Do you know the last time? That it was both a leap year and a shemitah year together. Is it very? I mean, I would assume just mathematically, it's really, uh, um, it's really rare, right? So the last time, okay. So I believe the two thousand and eight. Um, we had that set up. Was the last time two thousand seven, two thousand eight was the last time it happened. But here's here's a really interesting uh, point. Yeah. The last time. We had a Shemitah that was 384 days. Okay? Yeah. Right? That's the rarest number of days possible. First of all, let me just back up a minute. There's a Gemara Sanhedrin that, that says a leap year Shemitah should not be a leap year because right. you have an extra month. And right. as we know, during Shemitah, the, there's, there's no sure. work of the land. And it's, it's, uh, we, we don't want to add an extra month. So I actually speak about this uh, in my paper and um, – in my in Shari's Manim, I, I speak about this. I don't believe I speak about it in the book, but um, the, the answer to this is that there are different reasons why we make a leap year. There used to be reasons for actually infrastructure, bri- uh, the, the br- uh, bridges and roads had to be fixed, and if the winter was worn down, they needed an extra month. The Gemara Sanhedrin says that. So for those reasons, we didn't make a leap year. That's in the days when they made leap years based on, on, on calculation. Right. Okay, then what happened was that now we only make leap years because of, of you know, the, the, the Pesach Shafala in the spring. So that takes precedence over Shemitah, and therefore in our calendar system, we allow a Shemitah during a leap year. It happens seven times every 133 years. Unbelievable. That's so typically, it- on average, once in 19 years. Now, a leap year... Is either 383, 384, or 385. 384 days is the least common number of days in a year. And 385, is, is, days and 385 is the most we can ever have in a year. Correct. That's correct. But 384 only happens when you have a leap year after a year with, with Purim on, on Friday. So you see already, it's, it's Purim on a Friday is not that often. Right. And then you got a leap year after that. 
is going to only is going to also make it very uncommon. It would be the same so, as Shabbos Erev Pesach, which we know is the rarest. So. Ex- exactly right. So that last happened in ninety four ninety five. Right. That was not a shemitah. Okay, the last time a three hundred eighty four day year was a shemitah year was ninety eight years ago, which was nineteen twenty four nineteen twenty three twenty four. Um, tough resh pay and guess what began on that Rosh Hashanah of that year? Tell me. Dafyaimi. Wow. Right? Interesting. Dafyaimi began on the Christmas, the famous legend, not legend, the famous story that the Chavetz Chaim came to the Kizik and, and he stood up for, um, for Lublina Rav. Right. That was about two, three weeks before Rosh Hashanah. And then the second part of that story was of the acceptance was the Ger Rebbe on Rosh Hashanah night said, get me a Gemara Brachas. And, and we're doing that base. And then when the Rebbe did that, right, everybody, right, yeah, sure. everybody did this. Everybody followed, and it, it caught on. So we do the Chavetz Chaim and the and the, the Gare Rebbe. I want to say Emes was the Rebbe at the time, um, uh, um, but I, I might be mistaken. But it was the Gare Rebbe. So between that, that Fiyami caught on. That was on a Monday night, Rosh Hashanah, 1923, which was the beginning of a Shemitah year. Amazing. Rabbi David Heber is with us. Purim and Lagba Omer are always the same day of the week? Yes. Um, Peleg it, is the way to remember that. It's in this week's Parsha. The name Peleg, um, which, of course, he was born by the Dora Florida. Oh, Purim, Peleg. And, Purim and Lag. Purim and Lag, yeah. yeah. Um, am I right? Because you made a big deal about the next time we have a year without any double Parshios. But am I right that, that you that, – the, the, am I right that this year, 5782, there'll be only one double parsha? Am I right about that? That's correct. That is going to be the Tzam Vayelach right. at the very end. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, not just Matzah. I'm sorry. The Tzam Vayelach will be, sep- right. will be, we'll be se- separate. Right. Not just Matzah, Matzah, Matzah together, but in Israel, every parsha is separate because it, it, we're going to have we're going to have to speak again Pesach time. <laughs> right. We'll be off. Right. All the again, we're going right. to have this again, right. which has been happening very often. Yep. But we're going to have to remember this because the next discrepancy is not for another 20-some-odd years. The long discrepancy all the way from Pesach till Masmase, uh, uh, till the Beis of The next time it's going to happen is in, I believe, in about 20, 21 years or so. We're not going to have this discrepancy. We've had a bunch of them. Right. We will have other shorter discrepancies, but right. not but not this, this long. lengthy yeah, one. It goes and everybody to, asks the question, right? So, you know, what, what, well, we've discussed this Dvarim Erev Erev Tishvah, right? I mean, Dvarim during Shabbos Chazon. Also, about Midbar, why we went by Midbar before right, Shabbos. Uh, uh, actually, right. I have a whole lengthy discussion right. of this uh, in, in the book. But my point here is that um, in Israel, every part is going to be separate, right? How, right. However, in in, in Chutzlar, it's Every parsha the next time is separate is going to be twenty fifty two. And when we are off of uh, when we're one week off of the parshios, you know this coming spring season, Rabbi Heber, you know my attitude toward that. You're gonna you're gonna have to sit through my rant on that one. We'll hear we'll hear about it. We'll hear about it. We'll, we'll defend it. You, you certainly will. You're gonna have no choice. You're gonna put up a great defense. Uh, and I'll turn to you in a second for the year setup because obviously. If we have 384, not 385, we're quote-unquote missing a day somewhere, which I'm sure you'll explain which Rosh Chodesh you know, does what and what setup we have for 5782. But my final observation before I turn to you for that is uh, something that you've already told us because you, you already gave us the excitement in advance to anticipate this. Twice in 5782, 
we will have three Sifrei Torah during our Shabbos morning services. That is correct. We're going to have Shabbos Hanukkah. And we're actually two years in a row. Not only that, but in, in we're going to have many, many times. We're going to have, I mean, r- relatively speaking, we're talking about, we just came off of Simchus Torah, of course, which is every year. We're right. going to have Shabbos Hanukkah. And Rosh Hashanah. And then Shabbos Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Right. And then, bonus, we're going to have Hanukkah again. Right? Back to back. We're going to have Shabbos Hanukkah, Tzvi Sifrit Torah. 2021 um, and 2022 as Shabbos Hanukkah Rosh Chodesh? Yes. Wow. Yes, That's pretty cool. The next year, next year will happen again. But, um, and then of course, we can get the longest benching two years in a row. Right. Um, but then enjoy it now. I, I, have a, I actually I can't tell you how much the excitement of such a moment when it comes. We get it again in 2025, and then we go on a 14-year hiatus. won't happen again until 2039, That's where it. you have you know, the three Sivitar on Hanukkah and the longest benching. Wow, very cool. All right. And how rare is it to have these, aside from Simchus Torah, of course, to have the two other Shabbatot with three Torahs? How often does that happen? Not often. I don't, I don't have the number. I could probably calculate it. It'd be twice in a year where you have three different right. Torah. Correct. Um, right. So you get it. We actually had it also this. Um, you didn't get it in a year where um, Rosh Hashanah is on a Monday and uh, the 30 days of Cheshire and Kislev. You're going to get it in a year when Rosh Hashanah is on a Tuesday. Um, well, no, 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 I take that back. You need you need a leap year. You need Rosh Hashanah on Monday, like this year. Right. Rosh Hashanah on a Monday on a on a Tuesday. Right. It happens. I don't have the stat, but I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess a total guess. I know I'm going to get. You're going to get an email saying I was off by a few percent. <laughs> I'm going to guess maybe 15 percent, but uh, that's a guess. I don't have that stat. On. I could have calculated, but it'll take me a few minutes. So. By the way, the Tuesday Wednesday is the rarest, right, for Tishrei Tuesday Wednesday. Absolutely. Yeah. And but, that that's an interesting discussion, and and takes about a minute to explain, but it's fa- it's fascinating. The Mailad is the determinant of Rosh Hashanah. The Mailad, of course, being the time of the new moon. So think about it. Rosh Hashanah could fall out on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Shabbos. Okay? Right. If the Mailad, without getting into all the details of exactly when the Mailad has to fall out, so we'll just make this simple. If the Mailad falls out Wednesday or Thursday, for all practical purposes, it really means Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday or Thursday morning, which is a 24-hour span, Rosh Hashanah is on Thursday. Right. So you get two two out of seven. If the Mailad is on you know, Friday or Shabbos, then Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos. You get two two chances, two days. If the if the Milad is Sunday or Monday, Rosh Hashanah is on Monday. Mm-hmm. So you get two chances. Right. For Rosh Hashanah to be on Tuesday, you only get one chance. It's got to fall out on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So you only get one of seven chances. And if you look at the, some of the other rules, it's actually even less than that. So it's really just, it just, it doesn't just fall out that often because of that. And of course, that had the ramifications of of, you know, the rest of really last year, it impacted more than this year because, you know, with the Purim Friday and, 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 and et cetera. Someone asked me uh, how today could be Rosh Chodesh if Rosh Hashanah was Tuesday, Wednesday, because, you know, the next month is always the following day of the week. But the reality is that Rosh Hashanah's, uh, is, is an anomaly because it's not a Rosh Chodesh, even though it is, but you know what I'm saying, meaning that usually Rosh Chodesh, right, it's usually the first, the last day of the month, and then it plus the first day of the month, like today, today's the last day of Tishrei, and then tomorrow's the first of Cheshvan, but with, but of course Rosh Hashanah is the first and second day of Tishrei, so the next Rosh Chodesh day would be the day after the first day of Rosh Hashanah. 
That's correct. And that's where we are today. That's why today is, I mean, that's one of the reasons why the NFL falls after today being Rosh Chodesh. Rabbi David Heber is with us. His book, by the way, is called The Intriguing World of Jewish Time. A lot of these subjects are discussed. Over 150 subjects are discussed. He's also doing a webinar later today, which we'll tell you about. Uh, But first, Rabbi Heber, I turn to you. Why 384? Uh, What is the the official setup, if you will, for the year 5782? Okay. So we had, of course, Rosh Hashanah was on Tuesday. Cheshvan, which is the month we're about to begin, Mar Cheshvan, we begin this evening, is going to be only 29 days. Right. And Kislev is going to be 30 days. And the reason for that, that's known as a Kisidron, which means it's an order. And when you think about that, the months have been 29, 30, 29, 30, 29, 30. Without, we're going to get by, by the leap year, it's going to get, it's going to, we'll have 30, two months of 30 in a row. But basically, Kisidron means an order. So this month is 30, next month is 29, then it's 30. Etc. The reason for that is, think way ahead. Next Rosh Hashanah has to fall out on a Monday, based right. on the time of the of the new moon for next Tishrei. Right. In order to facilitate that, for Rosh Hashanah to be on a Monday, it, we got to have 384 days this year. And in order to facilitate that, we need Cheshvan to have 29 days, Kislev to have 30 days, and then everything falls into place. So we'll have that that you know. Kisidron, and therefore Hanukkah is going to is going to um, is going to be on a Monday because of the way it falls. And um, the, this year of fascinating year with the poor week we began right. form on a Friday, Pesach on a Sunday, like Bayim on a Friday. This past year, we also continue with the Roshan on Tuesday. Right. We also had something. We also had something. The law, most days in a row possible to lane because we laned eleven chutzlarts. We laned eleven days in a row. Beginning with Erev Sukkot was on a Monday. We had um, seven days of Sukkot, two days from Erev Sukkot, and then Isruchag, which was about a week ago, was on a Thursday. So we started Erev and Isru were laning days. So nine plus two is eleven. The only time in the Jewish calendar that has eleven days. By the um, by, 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 by the way, I think you discussed this in the book, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Eleven is the book. But I, you know, I, got, I have to just tell everybody. In addition, if you if you if you found that fascinating, what Rabbi Heber just said about eleven days in a row laning, the brand new book, The Intriguing World of Jewish Time, is over one hundred and fifty subjects. An amazing trivia, amazing analysis, amazing lumdus, a lot of great stuff. But I got to tell you, Rabbi Heber, and I'm not going to give the answer now because I want people to ask their kids at the Shabbos table. In fact, they should buy your book first so they have the answer in front of them. <laughs> the best of all 150, of all 150, the one we love the most in the Siegel home is how you recite a different Mariv Shmona Esrei nine nights in a row. I mean, we had oh. so much fun with that. Now, don't say it. Don't even say the one word that would give it away. There's one great hint that would give it away. But I'm telling you, folks, you got to buy just for this question. You got to buy the book. <laughs> I won't. I won't. But there's a different question circulating yeah. around, and I just want to talk about that question yeah. and how this one is different yeah. without talking about the nine. Sure. But there was a question going around. Twelve nights in a row, we had different spanestray. Recently, with Sukkot, but that that question was tonight is different than last night, right? Right. In other words, right, you, which was twelve nights in a row right. based on Sukkot, and then Yontif, and then it was Atachan uh, Tanu, and, but that's a different and question. so on. That's a different, totally yeah. different question. Right. The question that you're referring to is different. Everyone Marif, was different right. from the others. Right. Everyone Every Marif, thank you for reading it. I, right. I can't thank you enough for for your 
Oh, you're you're being mechazic. The topic. By, uh, by the way, and I and I, I said this to a dear friend of mine who has a community of a lot of people who are discovering Judaism. This book is not just for people who are you know really familiar with our heritage. There are a lot of people who are just learning about Judaism and just coming into davening chakras, minchamarav, etc., who would find that question fascinating because they are learning, you know, what it is to say Shmon Esrei, etc. And he agreed with me. And and you 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 should know that you know as much as I'm sure you you wrote this book for people like you know like us in mind, you know, who spend their lives in shul, thank God, uh, you know, and and addicted to the Jewish calendar, thank God, and have the 150 year Jewish calendar. I still I still take it with me into the living room after. Shabbos lunch by Heber and my kid. And my oh, kid. I'm honored. <laughs> and my... On that topic, what you're mentioning, <laughs> I want to mention a, a, a which to me is a, a very personal, beautiful story. Forty. Uh, my my grandfather was a rov, um, and and he was Makar of a Yid, right? He was Makar of a Yid. Who today is Erel Chayid with a beautiful family and uh, um, you know our children are Marbus Tyra and grandchildren. Beautiful family. When he was in Chassan, I was a I was a fourth grader, and the, this Chassan and his kala ate ate by our house right for Shabbos. They came to us for Shabbos, right. and and we had them, and we knew. Oh, my grandfather was makar of him, and he was getting married. He was very from Erel Chayid, and and his wife also had recently become from over previous years. And I, I that was in fourth grade. Okay, I remember they got married. I was in fourth grade. My parents went to their wedding. I, I was out of out of town. It wasn't St. Louis. I remember them going. And and I'm sitting at the table, and I didn't remember this, but years later, his kala, who's you know, told me that when I was at the table, I asked the following question: I said, "What's the longest benching?" <laughs> right? I was just a little, I was just a little whippersnapper kid, you know, right? Yeah. And I was asked, "What's the longest benching?" And everybody's, "Oh yeah," and I sit there with a with a grin, and I'm saying, "Yeah, it's Shabbos or Shchaydish Hanukkah," and she told me that it had such a meaning <gasps> to her. Wow. Because. Because again, she was very frum, and, and you know, she knew benching, and she knew how to bench. And again, today she's a, she's a grandmother, kind of an unbelievable mishpacha. But then she, you know, relatively recently become frum over the past few years and worked it. And putting all this together was like, wow, wow, that's just unbelievable. So I always, you know, you mentioned this, Unreal. and I always reflect back on. Uh, yep, I'm on, telling on, you. On I, I, I'm, if you want to give a great bar mitzvah present, folks, or bat mitzvah present for a girl who's uh, interested in. And this type of uh, information, the boys and girls in our community are fascinated by this. Uh, I'm telling you, I could see kids just lying on their bed and, and eating this stuff up. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of, Rabbi Heber? You remember Hechatimtza? No. The book no, Hechatimtza, no. the, the Jewish riddle book? Really? Oh, that's funny. I, and I, yes, I remember the book of lists. I remember the right. Jewish book of lists. I remember the that Jewish book of lists. Hechatimtza was, was a Jewish trivia. You know, how could you have a situation like X, Y, and Z, etc.? It was written, actually, it was very popular, uh, written in the early 1960s by my wife's uncle. And that was, really? and, and I regret that I don't know where my copy of it is because I know my kids would go crazy for it now. And I've gone on the internet looking for it. If anybody out there has any idea where to get an original Hechatimsa, both Hebrew and English, let me know. Let me know. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and NachumSingle.com, and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. NSN app. Rabbi David Heber is with us. He's Kasha's administrator at the Star K, spiritual leader of Kahala. In Baltimore today at what at noon today at noon Eastern time, Rabbi Tzvi Goldberg will host Rabbi Heber for a fascinating discussion on the topic of the intriguing world of Jewish time. They're going to be doing um, more of what we're doing now. 
Uh, the Jewish calendar and Zmane Hayom are complex, and Rabbi Heber makes the topic clear and easy to understand with this amazing brand new work, which includes 150 questions and answers on Jewish time. Uh, the re- webinar is today at 12 noon Eastern time. Um, to submit questions, you can email webinar at star-k.org, webinar at star-k.org. Uh, and of course, the, um, the, uh, the program is available to everybody at 12 noon. I'm just trying to get the best way. Yeah. Um, you could go, yeah, webinar. You could, you could sign up. You could literally sign up. I want to make this as easy as possible because it's hard for people to write stuff down now. Uh, webinar at star-k.org, and they'll sign you up. Webinar at star-k.org, and they will sign you up. How's the book doing, Rabbi Heber? Are you getting a nice reaction? Baruch Hashem. Yeah, yeah, Baruch Hashem. Uh, it, it, you know, we, I get a few calls here and there, and uh, people you know in town who saw it. And uh, it's very good. I, I, learning. I announced that you get corrections. You get corrections from no, people already. Right no way. <laughs> I don't believe that. Well, <laughs> well, the correction the correction came on a on a on a miss Maramukim where I, I I wrote in the Hakdama. I wrote. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you what it is because Ezel Chachamareis Anoila. That was part of my introduction discussion. Right. So off the cuff. Right, I said, "Oh, that's Pirkei Avos, Ezel Chacham." Right. Well, one second, Pirkei Avos is Ezel Chacham. Haloy made me call Adam. Right. Right. And he wrote me. He wrote. I think it's a Tumbid Daflamit Beis. I think he wrote me. So okay, the second version we will uh, will we'll, we'll work on it, Mitzvah Shem. Wow. I want to know two things though sure. on on things that are near and dear to you sure. regarding coming up in the year. Number one is the clap. That's your oh! ultimate favorite topic. Thank God you brought. Thank God you brought this up. Now I'm assuming this is going to happen during Hanukkah, right? Oh yeah, big time. Because I'm Matzei Shabbos Hanukkah, which is which is that day where we have that longest benching, right? And we have the second rarish Manasre, which will be the Musaf Musaf Hanukkah with Ol Chaparas Pasha, right? That's the second rarish Manasre, right? For the first rarish Manasre, see the book, right? Right. Um, but at night, Matzei Shabbos, it's going to be Rish Chaydish, Hanukkah. So the Gabe is going to clap for Yalviyavai, right? right? It's going to be Yalviyavai. But that's, we also start saying the same uh, <laughs> Talmud Rachan that night. So Gabayim, <laughs> listen to Nachum Siegel very carefully. Make sure you announce, right, the same Bracha, because if you just clap, people can say, oh, it's Rish Chaydish tonight. And they can say Yalviyavai, and then there's every there's gonna be a buzz in the in the audience of the, the Tibur. Um, hey, one second. Well, why don't you tell us to say the same bracha over here? So, but it's even more. What my shear is gonna be about that night. You know, it, my shear at the end of Shabbos. And by the way, those wondering why it's Matzei Shabbos is because next year is a secular leap year, right? Um. Otherwise, it would be uh, the day uh, before. No, 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 no. Next, no. In other words, it's Matzei Shabbos because December fourth is Shabbos. It would be oh, regular. I apologize. December fourth by Mara, ap- regular business. Right. I ap- December fourth. Is a Shabbos, I believe, and they're from Monday yeah, Shabbos. I, I, apologize, I apologize. I was looking at November, but one second. I thought if next year's a leap year, uh, is oh, next, not, next, next year's not a leap year. Right, next year's not a leap year. Right, next year in the secular, it would matter December fifth or sixth. So the night of December fourth, which is which is quote unquote Orla December fifth, we start saying the Saint Talamutter. That's correct. That's correct. The next thing of major discussion is going to be we, we have in a month from now Rosh Chodesh, exactly a month. We have a convergence that's going to make make um, a, a lot of I, I guess I'll say stress, but everybody should just tell their boss they'll be late to work that day a little bit. 
because the, we, we turn the clock ahead the latest possible day. November 7th is right. the first in America, first Sunday in November. That's right. going to be November the 7th, right. which is the absolute latest, which means the week preceding that is going to have the latest sunrises in any city. And Zmantzvila. Zmantzvila right. and Zmantzvila. Right. I mean, you're talking about in Detroit, you're talking about sunrise, you know, well after 8 o'clock, wow. well after 8 a.m. 8 a. And even in, in, I know in Baltimore, it's going to be like, I think, 740 sunrise. In New York, it's going to be also very late. That Friday is Rish Chaydesh. Oh, boy. Right. So everyone wants to roll back Rish Chaydesh, you know, to not start early. Right. But you can't start early. Those early minyanim, it's going to be pitch black. It's yeah. going to be before Alaysa Shachar. It's going to be wow. before Zman. So you can't daven before Alaysa Shachar. Um, and, and therefore, you got to, you know, the rubs should sit down and analyze with the Kabbalim exactly how early you could start. And and you know those early minyan and are just going to have to have have to manage, um, and and you know do it do it properly. So again, you know works a little bit late. And uh, so that's a take, one take, take that's a out. one day rosh chodesh on Friday, November fifth. Correct. That's correct. The whole week's going to be hard. Right. The whole week is very right. late. Even regular minyanim that normally yeah. start you know six fifteen oh, oh, o'clock oh, are going to have a problem. But rosh chodesh, it's it's. Yeah. They already it much more complicated. They already announced up here that uh, that our Sunday minion a week from this Sunday is going to be six oh five instead of six o'clock because they need time to you know put on tefillin before Yishtabach. So exactly. So they're exactly. going they're going to you know they 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 can't put on tefillin before Zman tefillin, so they're not going to start. But you know uh, yeah you get the whole thing. I'm just <laughs> right, right. Nor- normally Absolutely. they start six and get the Yishtabach six fifteen, knowing that they can't get the Yishtabach till six twenty, so they're going to start six oh five. By the way, on the clop issue, it's even more complicated than you said. I believe it's even more complicated than you said. I'll tell you why. Not only do you have the Yalaviyavo and the Vesein Talamutar, which both, of course have to be said that night. But people often are confused during Hanukkah if that late in Hanukkah they're still clopping for Alanisim or not. So it, oh, that's true also, right? right. Like, what's the guy been doing over right. here? Like, we so, know what's saying Alanisim. So right. if someone hears two clops, it's possible they'll think, oh, Yalaviyavo and Alanisim. I would argue that to cover all bases, you might have to bang three times that night. <laughs> That's right, right, right. But you're allowed by Marv. You're allowed to call out, right? And Mincha, um, right? Yeah, Mincha Marv. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, right. Anyway, yeah. Oh, so, that's anyway, true. Then, that's true. So that night they'll make it clear by just shouting out all the instructions. But it's so correct. much. But it's so much cooler in yeshivish when you just clop, Rabbi Heber. Right, right. I understand. I understand. <laughs> all right, yeah. I want to point out one thing yeah. in the book. Besides, besides, um, you know, all the interesting, like longest and the most often, right. I, I didn't want it only to be, you know, just all the, like, you know, interesting, like, uh, trivia you right. know, things. I put in certain explanations of of things that are, you know, Zmanim-related, uh, besides very calendar-related and, you know, the mechanics of the calendar and the Mylan and so on. But, um, you know, even even issues of, like, just Yoival, right? We know in Yoival... Um, we, we, the, the Avadim went free. Exactly, you know, when did that happen and when did right. they blow the Shaifer on Yoival or Hakel? Hakel, next year, after Hakel, they celebrated every, all of, all of, Yisrael, all the Yidin came together in, uh, by the base of Migdash and celebrated Hakel. Exactly what time was that? When during Sukkot was that? It's fascinating. There are different opinions um, as to what that is. Or there's a Gemara in Brachas that says uh, Bilam, you know, cursed 
uh, Klai Yisrael during a rega, which is a very short span of time. You know, there's like eight different opinions. How long is a rega? It's, it's, how many milliseconds is a, is a rega? So I, I actually looked up, I researched this topic and, and, and looked to see exactly how long, how long that is. So some of it is just explanations of, you know, things that we do or, you know, halacha said getting a, a deeper understanding or how to write Rosh on a ksuba. Right. Um, you, you write Rosh Chaydish, don't you write, what if you have a ksuba? This is always talk. You go to weddings and you're waiting around and saying, we're waiting until it gets dark because right. we don't want to predate the ksuba. Right. I go through those halachas of, you know, early ksuba, a late ksuba. Um, so again, besides all the, you know, the, the, um, the interesting tidbits, uh, which I which uh, are, are which we find fascinating. If you you give the opportunity to address on the show, you know for many years, and I greatly appreciate it. But we get into some of the interesting, you know, halachic, a little, a little more serious type of types of discussions that we that we have. Order the book now, everybody. Israelbookshoppublications.com. Israelbookshoppublications.com. It's called the Intriguing World of Jewish Time. Rabbi David Heber. Information about uh, the seminar, the webinar, rather. Uh, at noon today, um, it's webinar at star-k.org, webinar at star-k.org. You'll be able to start an email exchange and get signed up for that if you want to uh, If you want to um, participate at 12 noon Eastern time today uh, on the webinar on this very same topic. Um, I, I think it's the, you, you do mention yard sites in the book, and I think, yes. I, I think I've mentioned to you that my father had this custom of uh, not just, you know, getting uh, Kabbalah Shabbos and Musaf before a yard site, uh, but he actually davened Erev Shabbos Mincha through Matzei Shabbos Mariv on the Shabbos before he had yard site. That was his... Well, fascinating. Yeah. Very fascinating. So I asked... We talk about that, yeah. So I, yeah. I think that his yard site can never be on Shabbos, but I believe my mother's yard site this year is on Shabbos. What happens the prior Shabbos? Are, are my customs of, of what I do for davening, whether it's Kabbalah Shabbos, Musaf, or everything, does it apply to the Shabbos before that Shabbos? Do I get mafter and aliyah that Shabbos? How does it work when the art site's on Shabbos? Tumenagim. Tumenagim. Summer night to take and summer night to, uh, you know, do, to do it bow by own? I would say most shuls don't, especially big shuls, because you come and say, I need aliyah this Shabbos and right. next Shabbos. They'll tell you, you know, you know, we're not knowing that. But if, if you have that minig, then you can, you know, find a minion that'll that'll grant you that opportunity on the Shabbos. But if before. you're gonna, but if you're gonna get one of the maftiers, you should get a bow by the later one. You should yeah, get absolutely, Bo-Bayom. absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. We get into the first yard site when right. you keep, or yard site leap years, and and if someone dies during during Benish Mushes. My great grandfather, who's who's he came to America a hundred years ago. Wow. He was a Shabbos Shabbos grocer. His name was Yosef Akain Greenfield. He came Erev Yom Kippur a hundred years ago to these shores. Um he he passed away um in nineteen forty five um Ben between the first and second day of Sukkot. Wow. He's his Kevers in Queens and his son, my uncle, Baruch Greenfield was a Talmud of Ramesha, and Ramesha told my uncle that we, Ramesha, you keep the second day. When someone dies, Ben Hashemasha, the Yeshachayim holds the first day, Ramesha held the second day, wow. and they actually changed on the cover. If you look carefully, you could see they, they you know, because Ramesha Paskin, that they should keep the later day, and they actually, you know, kind of fixed the, the olive to the base. You see a little bit scratched uh, on the cover like Ramesha. So all, all it's, it's fascinating. Interesting. It's fascinating this this point. Can I end with two, two, one story that has two parts? Sure. Uh, not, not not directly the calendars, but <laughs> yeah. I in, in the book, in the Hakdama, I thanked 
you know, a number of people, yourself included. Thank you. But I also thank, of course, my parents and then my father, who got me very interested in this topic, and and many other people. But two interesting. I, I thank my ninth grade rabbi, Rashul Five Weiss, and I actually brought him a copy in Lakewood. Wow. He, he retired and lives in Lakewood. He he, you know, he, he taught me how to learn initially and coming out of day school in Chicago tells and. He, he knew I had this interest, and he once called me over and says, look, look at this safer. Look what he talks about, the international dateline. And, and I was like, wow, Rebbe, unbelievable. But I also, and I brought him a copy, and he, it was just so thrilling to, to come into his home and, uh, and, and you know, bring him a copy. But I have a Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael. His name is Rebbe Hanina Rabinowitz. He was my eighth-grade Rebbe in, in Epstein Hebrew Academy, which was the only day school at the time in St. Louis. My father was a Rebbe there for many years. And some of your listeners are ex-classmates here, so they'll they'll remember or ex uh, right. uh, academy right. alumni, right. and they'll remember him very fondly. He lives in Etzisrael, and when I was in eighth grade, he told me I'm going to write a book called Trivias David, huh? <laughs> as a trivias, which is the trivia of David. So, so I was had it in the back of my mind. I didn't name the book Trivia Stuffin, <laughs> but I, 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 I had to get him a copy. I had uh, to get him a copy, and I, I thank him in the book also for just initially planting the, the idea. I have a nephew learning in Eretz in the mirror, my nephew Shmuley, and and I, I got him, sent him a copy with someone going to Eretz and he brought it to him. And yesterday, I got a call from my Rebbe, Rebbe Vinowitz, who I had spoken to in a number of years. And it was it was just thrilling. What can I tell you? I can only imagine. Really, I can only imagine. My gosh! Well, what a great accomplishment, and so many people in this audience, and I know around the world, just love what you've done with this topic, and and love when we discuss it. By the way, uh, our app has blown up with everything having to do with parochas. Apparently, Broyers has a parochas for Rosh Hashanah, another one for Sarasvei Chuma, another one for Yom Kippur, one for Shalosh Regalim. The Sukkot one is taken out immediately after Yontem, and then they have a special one for Shabbos Mavarachim. So obviously, that's the one that they use for Shabbos. Okay, oh, there we go. Rabbi so Tedler, Rabbi Tedler of blessed memory. His shul in Muncie has a special Shalosh Regalim Barokas that's, of course, taken down after the Shalosh Regalim. So <laughs> we've got... Okay, na- so everyone has. <laughs> Everyone's got my, my wife is from Yekisha descent. And my, my in-laws both grew up in Kilis Yaakov or my Breslauer shul. So I have to find out how they were not... Yeah. Uh, what their meaning was oh, uh, as well. And one listener pointed out to me that, uh, speaking of important calendaric trivia, Rabbi Heber, are you aware of the fact that your St. Louis Cardinals have a very important game tonight? Has the youth uh-huh. has the youth of the community told you about that, Rabbi Heber? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have to check. I I, I did hear that, but I didn't... I didn't uh, yeah, now that you mentioned it, I heard the game is Wednesday, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I say that because even the greatest of Torah giants who I've met, who in their youth were steeped in uh, in sports and youthful activities, that many of them would always say to me, you know, obviously I pay zero attention to this, but if I hear they win, it puts a smile on my face. So, you know. 100%. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Yeah, yeah. Rabbi Heber, Mazal Tov on the book. Everybody out there, it's IsraelBookshopPublications.com. The book is entitled The Intriguing World of Jewish Time. Rabbi Heber, it's appropriate for me to say on this Rosh Chodesh Marachashvan, a happy, healthy, and sweet, tough shin pay base to you and your family. To you too, and you and your listeners, and uh, everybody should be gesund, everybody should be well. And, um, you know, we should, this year we should merit the Geula. And uh, we'll, we'll, as I wrote in the Hakdama to the book, you're going to laugh at this. I wrote, you know, Mashiach should come soon, and then most of these answers will have to be changed. That's right. In the book. <laughs> That's a great insight. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a great insight. Yeah. Rabbi Heber, thank you so much. 
Take care. Zag is in. Have a great day. Bye-bye. More coming up. It's Wednesday, Rosh Chodesh at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi David Heber. Up next, Rabbi Mayer Yedid, he joined us recently to discuss his book entitled The Power of Chinuch. Rabbi Mayer Yedid, his book is available at artscroll.com. Use promo code radio for your 15% discount. Rabbi Mayer Yedid, a recent guest on JM and the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. It's Wednesday, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan. Rabbi Mayer Yedid is with us live via telephone. Uh, Rabbi Yedid is a renowned educator, sought-after speaker, rabbi of Brooklyn's large and thriving congregation, Shari Zion, and author of the popular work, The Power of Tranquility. In this brand-new book, The Power of Chinuch, Rabbi Yedid combines his vast knowledge of Torah with his profound understanding of children and the adults' tasks to raise them. His guidance is warm, practical, and firmly sourced in the Torah's eternal wisdom. The book is available now at artscroll.com. Again, go to artscroll.com. The book is entitled The Power of Chinuch. You know the rule when you go to artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. Artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. Rabbi Mayer, you did. The Power of Chinuch, Illuminating the Torah Path to Raising Great People. Rabbi, you did a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Pleasure to be here with you today. On page 58 of the book, you write, David HaMelech compared children to saplings. Banecha kishtile zeitim. Your children are like saplings of olive trees. He says that in Tehillim. When a tree is young, it's still flexible enough that if it's not growing correctly, you could bend it back into shape. Once it, get older, once it gets older, it thickens and hardens, and it's hard to bend it even in the slightest. Uh, when one is raising their children, Rabbi Yedid, I think this is an extremely important thing to keep in mind. Sometimes things aren't going well and people give up hope. But David Amalek himself tells us that children have plenty of hope within them, correct? Absolutely. Hope is uh, one of the keys to success in life, in anything that we do. You know, the, the Miraglim, that was their, uh, their, their sin, was they didn't have hope in others, in the right. Jewish people. Right. And when you lose hope in somebody else, then you have very little ability to help them. Am I right, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but am I right that it's much easier to write about tranquility than about chinuch? I, I would suspect this is one of the more difficult topics to address. It, it, it's, a, it's a much more sensitive topic because, you know, one mistake uh, can obviously have detrimental results. But, uh, you know, the Chavot Lavot says that uh, we should never be afraid to try something and try to do something good, even if there's a little bit of risk. So... I guess we do the best that we can. Uh, most, a lot of chinuch conversations that we have in our community, in, in all parts of the community, have to deal with our schools, our rabbeim, and our teachers. It seems to a degree that that's not your focus with this book. You really are looking to parents to do their primary job, to do it well, and not to assume that others will be responsible to do it. I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, the book is definitely useful for anyone, whether it's a person dealing with students or even with employees or with friends, because it's really all about sinners. Anytime you want to help another person and you're trying to either teach them something or, or give them a, a, a open their eyes to something, that's called sinners. So really... It's, and any time you want to give over, 
it's chinuch. But yes, primarily the greatest achrayut uh, responsibility of chinuch is on the parents. Of course, the school is a partner, but the school, but the parents are the ones who are responsible. Uh, half of the book talks about love. Half of the book addresses whether a child feels loved, how one needs to project their love as a parent to a child. Um, it, it, it's it's pretty amazing that you know one of the things that that unfortunately is missing from so many parent-child relationships is the greatest key. I think I think you'd say greatest. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Is the greatest key to raising children and and seeing them succeed. It really is. You just made a great point, Nachama. You know, every parent, every normal parent loves their children to no end. Right. That's not, you know, that's not something we have to learn, to love our children. And I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that we make when it comes to love, that, you know, we say to ourselves, of course we love our children. You know, let's let's move on to the next subject. Yeah. So why would we have to write, a, a you know, essays and essays about love when it's just obvious? And And the answer is that, Having love for somebody and having them know that you love them is quite a different story. You can love someone, but they don't really feel that. They don't know that. And if that's missing, if we don't know how to project that love in the right way, and we don't talk to them the right way, and we don't deal with them the right way, then even though we do love them, but it may come off very different than what we're really feeling. So it's really an art. I I have to imagine that in your community that in your hello yeah there we are I have to imagine I have to imagine that that in your community like in every community around the world you've sat with parents who are lucky enough to reflect on great success that they've had with their children and you sit with parents who uh, unfortunately you know might be suffering because their children. Uh, are not exactly following the same tradition and values that they would like. Uh, in both cases, I, I would assume quite often uh, uh, you you've, you admire the way the parents have dealt with the situation. I get it when when someone is sitting in front of you and bemoaning uh, the path that their child has taken, and you're saying to yourself, "Well, when you ignore your kid for 20 years, what do you think is going to happen?" I, I get that, and we un- and we understand the detriment of that type of situation, but there's so many parents investing so much time and so much love and so much attention to their children, they still don't get the results. What could you say to a parent in that situation? Number one, we always have to make our best hishtadlut, our best effort. You know, success uh, is not in our hands. I met once a rabbi from Israel who was here collecting uh, a tremendous amount of money. He has a a lot of Moses in Israel, and and I, and I asked him, are you, are you nervous? He says, listen, he says, in this world, we are kablane hishtadlut. We're not kablane hatzlachot. Which means, in this world, our mission, our job, is to make the best effort. We don't have the keys to success. Success is not in our hands, but in our hands is to make the best effort. Which means, we have to buy a book on chinuch, we have to read it, we have to write notes on it. We have to speak to people to get advice. We have to do our best to make the best effort that we can. At that point, we could always say to ourselves, we've done our best. 
what actually happens is not always in our hands. But that doesn't stop us from really going all out because this is the most important endeavor in our life. The greatest pleasure that we will have in life is when we see our children are successful and happy and accomplishing. So we got to put every, from every angle, we got to put in that effort. What do you say to parents whose children are faithful to the tradition, whose values are where they should be, but whose path is somewhat different than their colleagues? They have interests that are not bad interests, but you know, interests that are just off the beaten path, let's say, of the typical interests of young Jewish men and women. How, how flexible would you say parents should be in that situation? It's a very, very difficult question because we're not talking about specific things. It's hard for me to answer that. But in general, you know, the successful parents are well-meaning parents. And the well-meaning parents means that you're completely thinking about the child and not thinking about yourself. So as long as you're thinking about the best for your child and nothing to do with you, so you're going to be successful. So sometimes things are too far, and you'll say, that's not good for my child. He should not be doing that. So then we got to step up, and we got to make sure that we do our best to stop that or to redirect them. But if we feel, you know what, this is great for my child, you know, it's not me. It's not exactly who I am, but that's what my son, my daughter needs. So that would be a well-meaning parent doing their job, to raise their children in the best way for them. <sighs> I'm a parent, and I have wonderful children. Thank God. But as you as you say all this, I just, I it it just hits me at, at how difficult a task it is. It is such a difficult task, and uh, such a challenging one. Maybe that's a better word. Uh, and people need to know that going in. This is not going to be an automatic. Right. Uh, we said right. that, you no, said, knowing, no, knowing that is half the battle. Knowing right. that that's when you have point. a child, you've yeah. done, that's the very easy part of the job. This, now right. it gets to, you know, real, real work. This is it. Rabbi Mayer, you did is with us. The book is called The Power of Chinuch, Illuminating the Torah Path to Raising Great People. Go to artscroll.com. Uh, check it out. Rabbi Mayer, you did. Um, the... Uh, the the challenge that parents have, well, here's how I would put it, Rabbi Yadid. Here's how I would put it. How different would this book be 20 years ago? Meaning with the, and by the way, it's funny, I'm asking the question this week with the, with the almost complete blackout of social media that there was one day. With all the attention that, that we as adults, not just children, obviously children's another issue, but we as adults, you know, pay to so many other things on the phone, technology, and, and, and the 24-hour cycle that seems to never end. Uh, how different would this book be uh, 20 years ago? Is the technology aspect and the, uh, the proliferation of too much time ignoring one's children uh, something that's you know, one of the primary problems of today? So the, the way the book is written, it really is coming out of the wisdom of the Torah and Chazal. So I don't think the book would be written any differently 20 years ago. I think the wisdom of the Torah is eternal. It doesn't change. The, the basics, the foundations of what it takes to be successful, not only in Chinuch but in anything, really has not changed from the beginning of time till today. You know, it's funny. Now, it, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, it's yeah. funny because I read the book, 
and 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 you're 100 percent right, and I I hear your perspective, but as you read every paragraph as a parent, you can't stop, uh, you can't stop thinking about all the time spent not spent with children. Now you may be right, 20, yeah. 30, 50 years ago was the same thing, but now you're literally spending not spending time with your kids as you're spending time with them as you're with them you're not spending time with them that's right, that's right, how crazy right. it's gotten right so to, so to address your question of them i i think i think the book today may be more valuable than it was 30 40 years ago just because of the struggles that we have today in having our priorities right in 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 dealing with our children because things are a lot more complicated than they, than they used to be. So I think today it may be more useful than somebody was reading 40 or 50 years ago, but 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 the information, I think, doesn't change. You know, and, and you know, we should remember something. Baruch Hashem, I'm involved with thousands of children yep. every day. Yep. Um, you know, today the generation that we have is, is an interesting generation. It's, you know, we, I, I've never seen so many great kids in my life. Um, when I grew up in school here, and and I I never seen kids like this. Wow. We have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids that I see every day that are just magnificent. They're awesome. You say in a world like this with all the challenges, and yet they're much better than they used to be. And then on the other side, there are children who are completely off. Never seen that when I grew up. Totally in a different path. So. We're seeing a generation, you know, I call it the honest generation. Maybe not, not, not always in a positive way. They're very honest. You know, if, they, if they're in it, if they understand it, if they know what, you, what, what you're teaching them, if, if they're bought in, they're going to be tough. And if they're not, and then they don't care. You know, they're just going to do their own thing. Wow, so, amazing. So this becomes so much more, you know, so much more relevant today to really be prepared for this because it's really a life or death situation. And it's remarkable because I've also noticed this. When you say amazing kids, you're talking about uh, in their studies, in their chesed, in their relationship with people. In their, everything. In yeah, everything. Their age and older. Like this isn't everything. And by the in, way, and, in, and, and in, by the way, from a yeah. chinuch, you, 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 one other point from a chinuch standpoint, from an education standpoint, from a raising children's standpoint, uh, you do notice, I'm sure, like all of us, that, that children gravitate to those kids who have similar values. And and that and and that te- that tends to be the chevra that they hang out with, the group of people they hang out with, and and I think that that that's your point. That that thank God that part of our community has a a large chevra that continues to grow. Absolutely, chevra is is a is a huge influence yeah. uh, uh, on on a child or on anybody for that matter. No question about but it. Really, but really, it begins with a home that channels the child to find the right influence because anywhere you go any yeshiva you go any school that you go any shul you're going to attend there's always going to be those people that are right for you and those people that are not right for you for whatever reason and if you don't know how to confidently choose yeah. your derech and who are the people you should be with right. then you really can be stuck anywhere you go yeah we as parents have to give have to give the kids the tools to be able to make that differentiation to to in fact do what Absolutely. i just said to gravitate toward the, the the kids with the right values finally rabbi you did i cannot let you go without a dvar torah i love this one page 190 of your book which is entitled the power of chinuch 
the very first Chinuch message, one of the most difficult parshiot of the Torah, according to my teenage son, is the one we just read this past Shabbat, Parshat Bereshit. And you claim that the very first Chinuch message happens in Parshat Bereshit. Could you share that with us? Which, which one are you referring to? I am referring to the boundaries that God set for the first that's, two that's human a, beings. That, that, that is so powerful. I mean, imagine it, it, Adam Arishon is created. It's a pure world. He is the purest person. Everything is holy. He has a great mission to fulfill in this world. And we're waiting to see what God's going to tell him. Is he going to tell him he should be a Baal Chesed? Is he going to tell him to learn all day? Is he going to tell him how much he needs to build and to accomplish? And it's shocking. What does God tell him? Only one thing. Oh. And what's the one thing he tells him? <laughs> Don't eat from that fruit. Yep. What? That's it? <laughs> That's what I got to do? I got not to eat from the fruit? Isn't there more to accomplish? But really, think about it. And I, like we mentioned in the book, boundaries, that's the first commandment to Adam Arishon. If you want to be in Gan Eden, if you want to be in heaven, on this earth or anywhere, you need to have boundaries. With boundaries, you're going to live a life of pleasure. So that's what it, you know, at the end of the day, as parents, one of the biggest jobs that we have, the first jobs that we have, just like Hashem gave Adam Arishon, his first mission was his boundaries, and then we could build on that. Our job as parents is to know how to make boundaries for ourselves and for our children. And with boundaries, there's so much to build. There's so much to be able to accomplish. Just amazing. So God is the ultimate parent, huh? <laughs> when we say Avidu Shabbat Shabbat it's not as abstract as we think. That's real. It really is. Rabbi Yadid, the book is brilliant. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Mazal Tov on the release. And just continued success. What we hear about what you're doing in the community uh, is simply remarkable. Not that not that you need my haskama, but <laughs> but it's simply remarkable and continued success in raising wonderful Jewish families. Thank you, Avnach. It's a pleasure to be with you and all you listeners. I appreciate it, Rabbi Mayer. You did the book is called "The Power of Chinuch." It's amazing. It is a difficult topic to write about, as Rabbi Yadid acknowledged when I mentioned that. Uh, but it's so vital and so important, illuminating the Torah path to raising great people. Go to artscroll.com. You know what we always say? Use promo code radio. Go to artscroll.com. Use promo code radio. You know why? Because not only will you get a discount, you'll also get free shipping. Go to artscroll.com. Use promo code radio. The book is called The Power of Chinuch, and you are listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with our mayor, you did. Hillel Fold was on JM in the AM the day after the social media breakdown in this country and the world. Hillel Fold, a tech genius and somebody who uh, blogs a tremendous amount about technology from Israel. Uh, a recent guest on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, yesterday when the entire world collapsed, uh, technically speaking, or social media speaking, uh, and Twitter was out, and Facebook was out. Well, tw- I don't know if Twitter was ever out. Uh, I wouldn't know. I'm not a big Twitter guy. But Facebook was out, and Instagram was out, and uh, WhatsApp was out, which seemed to be the biggest disaster in the Jewish community. Uh, first person I thought of was Hillel Fold, who, of course, is a tech blogger and vlogger, very, very familiar to people in this audience. 
He is um, uh, somebody who already posted about the uh, tech outage or the social media outage and uh, had a lot to say, both technically from a technical standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint. And uh, for that reason, I've invited him on to discuss what happened yesterday. Hillel Fold, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. It's an honor as always. I appreciate that. Um, this was a long one, right? I mean, as outages go, because you and all of us have been through this before with WhatsApp, Facebook, etc. This was on the long side, timing-wise, right? Yeah, it was very long, and it was quite a severe uh, outage in terms of uh, what caused it, or at least what we know caused it as of now. Can you explain to a layman, can you explain to somebody who, if he had grandchildren, would be bringing them over to set up all of his equipment constantly, could you, could you explain to someone like me what happened yesterday? Sure. Slight disclaimer, though, and I'm not an engineer. That's important to mention because I'm sure that you know an engineer might have a, a deeper technical understanding of what happened. But from my, from my perspective, and again, this is what we know now, um, the rumors of, of, a, of an attack, et cetera, are, as far as I'm concerned right now, rumors. Uh, what Facebook is saying is that one of their routers that uh, basically communicates between their servers and the World Wide Web, the Internet, uh, went down. And because of their security, uh, many, basically no employees were allowed into that room to reconfigure the router. And so they kind of you know, outsmarted their own security and caused this whole thing to themselves. And that's why it took so long to kind of come back online because they have to get security clearance to get people into that room to fix up a mistake of that someone did when they kind of reconfigured the router and they did it wrong. It sounds, you know, to me, it sounds unbelievable that a company worth, you know, those hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars uh, has a server that can bring down all of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. That's just, to me, that's just unbelievable. Hillel Fold is with us. Are, are you shocked? And I know that's the wrong word, but... But what is your reaction when you now, like the rest of us, again are reminded about how much we are dependent on those two or three social media and communication services? So I'll, I'll answer that question with a, with a short story. I was on my way to Hassanah last night, and uh, I get phone calls from my kids saying, hey, Abba, why isn't my internet on my phone working? I said, what are you talking about? You're, you're, you should be working. Your data's fine. And I didn't understand what they were asking me. And I was driving, so I, I had no knowledge of what was going on. But at some point, I, I opened my phone, and I realized, wow, I have no Facebook notifications, no Instagram notifications, no WhatsApp notifications. <laughs> this is strange. And so I opened one by one, and I realized, wow, none of these are communicating with the servers. And I realized that is why my kids thought the data was down, because all they do on their phones is use Instagram and WhatsApp. So when they can't use Instagram and WhatsApp, from their perspective, the Internet is down. Unbelievable. Um, so now, uh, so now your further point about the reliability that we are giving, or I should say the reliance that we are giving to the, to this one social media company, right? Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, all the same company, uh, to go about our regular day. Right. So, um, my kind of humble personal opinion, and this is again, with a disclaimer that I know, you know, many, many top level executives at Facebook, and this is not, you know, some kind of like sinister, malicious, you know, plan or strategy of theirs to kind of take over the world. But the reality is that if you think about the influence that Facebook as a company has on our consciousness, it's a little bit scary because, you know, even if you take one of those three services alone, Facebook, the world has never known ever a platform with this level of influence. We're talking about a billion, you know, two billion users. I mean, that's a number that I cannot fathom. 
And so forget for one second Instagram and WhatsApp, just Facebook alone. It is just a, the amount of influence that this company has, and particularly Mark Zuckerberg has, because from what I understand, he's maintained, you know, quite a strong kind of control on the company in terms of, you know, stock and percentages of that, that he owns. Uh, so really it is fair to say that Mark Zuckerberg might just be the most powerful man in the world right now in terms of our consciousness, and that is a little bit scary. Wow, unbelievable. Hillel Folds with us. And by the way, just to clarify, that's why Twitter was not down, in fact, yesterday. They're not associated, I would assume, with this whole you know Facebook group, right? That is correct. Uh, you know, Twitter wasn't down. TikTok wasn't down. You know, anything that's not associated with Facebook wasn't down. The number that I saw, which was reported by Bloomberg, which is absolutely outrageous, is that Mark Zuckerberg's personal wealth went down by seven billion dollars in those five hours that Facebook was down. Seven billion dollars, which is again hard to fathom. And someone on Twitter said, "You know, you know how you know when you're worth too much." When you can lose seven billion dollars in four hours, <laughs> you know, you know, absolutely what, crazy. You know what number's astounding to me? The number five hours. I couldn't believe it. it's only. It was only five hours. To me, it seemed like a lifetime. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I threw out. It might have been a little more, but I'm you know just estimating. Um, I think that Facebook stock went down like six percent or something like that, and um, you know, and that's again just Facebook. Let me talk about Instagram and WhatsApp. I mean, the whole it's you know. Specifically in Israel, but you know, in many, many countries, WhatsApp is the exclusive, you know, messaging platform. And, and I'm telling you, like, parents couldn't communicate with their teachers. I, I, I was on this way to this wedding, and I had to submit a press release to a company that I'm working with, and I literally communicate with my manager there um, over WhatsApp, and I could not send her the press release because WhatsApp wasn't working. And we were all at the wedding, the whole full family, and usually we would share pictures and just complete dead. Nobody could do anything without WhatsApp. It's just. It's scary to think about how much control they have. Unbelievable. Hillel Fold is with us. Finally, Hillel, look, people who follow you know uh, you take your tradition and your heritage very seriously. Uh, the Fold family in general, very spiritual family. Uh, there is a higher message here uh, directed at people who are members of a faith community, and you're speaking, obviously, to uh, people who are part of of a faith community on a spiritual level, in addition to the, oh, we rely so much on it, we spend so much time on it, but on a spiritual level, did this give you pause uh, to think about the way a typical life works in 2021? Yeah, I think it's a, it might be an extension of COVID from that perspective, because if we've learned anything over the past two years, it's that nothing is in our hands. And yesterday, when literally, I'm telling you, I was at this wedding, the whole entire place was talking. Nobody, you know, I took a picture with my family. I, it's, I know this sounds, you know, funny to you, but I took a picture and I'm like, okay, now what? Like, what do I do with this picture? Right. <laughs> you know, no one prints pictures. You upload it to Facebook, Instagram. I'm just, just, it's just, you know, it really brings the point home that nothing is in our hands and you cannot trust, you know, anything but Hashem. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a company, like I said before, worth hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars and they could not prevent these massive services from crashing and staying down for that many hours. Hillel, someone said to me yesterday it was the most productive day they've had in a long time. Was your day productive yeah. yesterday, or you're too reliant on these systems for it to be a very productive day without them? I mean, like I said, I was at a chasana, so I wasn't working. But, uh, you know, if, if, if I had been, if it had been, you know, work the work day and right. those things had gone down, it would have, it would have, I mean, from my, on my end, it would have, you know, decreased my productivity because I work on these platforms. But right. you know, the truth is that most, most people who do not depend on these platforms for work, but rather for, for play, uh, they had nothing to do. So they definitely would have increased their kind of 
productivity. But, and this is important to mention, Twitter was just blowing up because these, you know, nobody had anywhere to go besides Twitter. And right. so there were like hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of like funny memes going around. And like, you know, just, it was just, it was quite hilarious to be on Twitter last night, I have to say. Yeah, there are some members of the uh, uh, of the Jewish community who tend to um, uh, post sarcastic tweets who were really uh, uh, doing a good job yesterday, let's put it that way. Also, one of the differences for, for you and for us is that, like you just said, it was toward the end of the workday in Israel, but for us it was literally right in the middle of the workday, and I'm sure that's a big difference depending on what side of the world you were on uh, in terms of dealing with right. the... Uh, hundred yeah. percent. I, I do want to say one more thing, though, and it's important to mention this. Um, you know, I'm talking about this whole thing as if, as if Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg is some, like, you know, evil man wants to take over the world. And, and it's important to mention, again, like, I can, you know, for example, just in one example among many, um, the guy who runs privacy and security at Facebook is an Israeli guy named Guy Rosen, who I know for many, many years. The way he started to work at Facebook is because Facebook acquired his company. And I can tell you, this guy reports straight to Mark Zuckerberg. He's extremely senior at Facebook. There aren't many people that I know that are nicer and have, you know, more a pure heart, a more pure heart than, than Guy Rosen. So, I, you know, on the one hand, yes, I, I, it does scare me a little bit how dependent we are. On the other hand, let's just put things in perspective. No one here is trying to, you know, take over the world like many conspiracy theorists are are trying to imply now. By the way, I'm I'm asking this question seriously. He he his profile went up yesterday or down yesterday? Like. He's a hero because of what ended up happening yesterday, or or he took a tremendous hit because of the you know the social media outage in general. He has in Mark Zuckerberg. No, he he, he has in Guy. I don't, Guy is very behind the behind the scenes, under the radar. He doesn't have a public kind of persona, so I don't think it affected him at all. But uh, you know, I definitely i i would not I would not have wanted to be in Mark Zuckerberg's seat last. I can't even imagine. Right. You know, I, listen, nothing. Think about this. You. you are, you literally have control over several billion of people. Billions. I mean, who, who has that level of control? And here you have these three services that people depend on, and they just go down. I can't even imagine the, the level of pressure at Facebook headquarters yesterday. Yeah. I look, I, I know what the feeling is when, you know, our network goes down for 30 minutes and the, the panic that sets in and, the, and, the, and the, the worry and nervousness that, uh, you know, accompanies all of that. I can only imagine multiplying that by God knows how many millions, what he went through yesterday and what the company went through yesterday. Um, And and for us, again, for us lay people who don't really get the whole system, can it now continue as normal? Like once this security problem or the way you described it earlier is fixed, can it just continue normally? So uh, as now, or at least as as the last time I checked, there are some things um, that are still down. For example... Uh, Facebook has a search engine, just like every platform has a search engine. If you go to that search, it shows you your last, you know, most recent searches. As of the last time I checked, which was about an hour ago, my previous searches are gone. It, it, you know, it just completely deleted it. So, again, I don't know if that's a permanent thing or if it's just, you know, part of, you know, the platform's coming back to life. Um, but I don't, again, as a, as a non-technical, non-engineer, right. just a person who loves tech, I can't imagine that any damage that was done is irreversible. I right. think, you know, they'll, they'll fix it. They'll come back, and I think uh, I think it's all reversible. Hillel, if I could hold you for another minute, because there's always big audience reaction when you're on, and today's no exception. Uh, one listener says uh, that we should note that Facebook used Twitter to announce the problem, which I guess <laughs> there's an irony there, huh? 
Yeah, so first of all, you know, you asked me if you could keep me for one more minute. I have to say, I think I say this every time we talk. I grew up listening to your show, so you could keep me for as many, as many minutes as you want, like, first of all. Uh, second of all, yeah, it, it, is, it is funny, and, you know, a lot of people pointed out when I posted about, you know, how scary this is and how much of a monopoly, and I posted it on Facebook and on Instagram, people are like, do you realize the irony here? And, and it is ironic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, listen, Twitter has become, and this is a whole discussion in and of itself, but Twitter has become kind of the default platform for politicians, for actors, for, you know, athletes to kind of communicate directly with their audience. Obviously, politicians, the first one that comes to mind is obviously the previous uh, president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, who used Twitter to communicate, you know, exclusively. Right. Uh, and that's a whole different discussion, the fact that they banned him, et cetera, but not for now. But, um, you know, Twitter is kind of the platform where people go to announce things. And so, yes, on the one hand, it is ironic that Facebook used Twitter to announce it. On the other hand, it's not. It didn't come to us as a surprise to me at all. What do you? What's your reaction to this comment on our app, listener John says? That's why you guys need to install Viber, Telegram, and Signal as a backup. What would you say to that? So, I mean, it's, you know, every time something like this happens, all of the apps that um, are fully encrypted, meaning that nobody can access the messages, uh, their user base increases by tens of millions. I, I, I heard a rumor. Obviously, I couldn't verify this that. Uh, Telegram um, got 50 million new users yesterday, wow. which is <laughs> insane. But um, I, and again, I don't I don't know that to be a fact. It's just something that I heard. But uh, you know, listen. At the end of the day, I'm I'm pretty skeptical. You know, listen. WhatsApp is also fully encrypted, and so right. I, I don't. You know, if you're going to think, if you believe Telegram, or if you believe any of these other you know messaging apps that no one's reading your messages, then you should have that same faith in. WhatsApp, that they're not reading your messages. So I, I'm not, I don't have any of those apps. I never downloaded them. And the truth is, you know, without kind of throwing anyone under the bus, a lot of shady things happen on those platforms. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with WhatsApp, and I'm going to not install those things for now. But uh, I, I hear the concern, and I hear the fact that yesterday, literally, I, it's hysterical, I got SMSs. Like, I can't even remember the last <laughs> time I got an SMS. Like, you know, so it, it is, there is something to be said that you have, kind of the ability to communicate when these services go down, right. but I'm not personally a huge fan of these of these apps. That's what we call texts, folks. Uh, Hillel got texts as he calls them SMSs as they do on that side of the world. Uh, and yeah, it was pretty unusual. It was pretty strange getting those uh, regular iPhone messages, yeah. which we have been few and far between over the last couple of years. Uh, Hillel Fold, I thank you. Thank you for your time and thanks for your insight. And we will be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hello, Fold, everybody. Tech expert, blogger, vlogger, and uh, somebody who has the uh, abilities he just demonstrated to intelligently discuss yesterday's outage on the main social media platforms. That was my conversation with Hillel Fold. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up if you keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.